Today I have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker. He's our pastoral candidate. He's candidating to be the assistant pastor of City Light Church. He's an excellent man of God. His name is Justin Poitheris. He's an ordained minister in the PCA. He's the assistant pastor right now of Christ Community Church in Carmel, Indiana. And he is going to bring us the word today. And I encourage you to, to listen to him, to hear him. He's going to bring us a word. And also after the service, if you want to get to know him better, Justin and his wife, they're going to be on a Zoom call with us after service. So we really encourage the church to come out, to show out, uh, to get to know Justin, get to know his wife, get to know his heart and his desires and his past testimony. He has a tremendous testimony. And so, Justin, uh, we're going to kick it over to you. We um, are glad that you're going to be joining us. We are sad we can't have him in person right now, but he's filmed this for us, and he's going to be live with us right after this service. So I want to introduce Pastor Justin Poitheris. He'll be giving us the word this morning. Hey, good morning, City Light Church. It's so good to be able to be with you this morning, and it's a real honor and privilege to be able to be preaching to you. And it's been very cool for me getting to meet with, uh, getting to hear some from your pastor, Pastor Dennis, about uh, his heart for the gospel and also just his heart and his vision for the city of Los Angeles and City Light Church and, and your role and, and your uh, ministry and your witness uh, in, in bringing love and grace to the city and to your community. It's also just been really neat getting to meet with some of you, getting to, to hear from you. I'm really looking forward to getting to meet some more of you uh, this afternoon. So uh, thank you for having me. At this point, we're going to take a look at God's Word. And our passage today is from Judges chapter 17. I invite you to follow along with me. This is the reading of God's Word. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the eleven hundred pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord for my hand, for my son, to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. <clears throat> And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. 
And Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth for us and to us. Thank you for Jesus. Would you help us to see the good news of what you have done for us and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want us all this morning just to take a moment to think about how are you approaching the next season in your life. And I don't mean so much kind of what's your strategy or you know what steps are you planning on taking, but more kind of what's your mentality, what's your attitude, what are you thinking that you need to do or be to set yourself up for success? And my hope is that as we look through this passage, it may give us some guidelines or parameters for how to think about that question. Now, in part of my upbringing, I grew up in a very structured house. So we had rules and procedures for pretty much everything that we did, which made it a little bit challenging, although certainly not impossible, for me to do whatever I wanted to do. And so I remember a few Saturdays uh, when I had a, a number of my friends were going to be getting together, hanging out, and playing soccer. And I knew that although there was a chance of my parents allowing me to join, that was by no means guaranteed. So I, I really had to play my cards right. I really had to specifically strategize what my Saturday morning would look like. And I knew that there were certain chores that were a high priority to my parents. And that if I did those things, right, if I helped out with some of the yard work and I made sure that my homework was done and cleaned the bathroom, made sure my room was clean, and then if I happened to mention names of some of the more responsible members of my friend group, then there was a decent chance that they would let me go. Now, I don't know if my parents knew all my motivations that went into one of those Saturday mornings, but you know, let's just say they did. How would they have felt about that? How would you feel about that? Well, it's complicated, right? Because on the one hand, what I wanted to do, right, which is to hang out with friends and play soccer, right, that wasn't a bad thing. And the things I was doing to get there... Right, which, you know, my being responsible and working ahead and taking care of my stuff, right, those were all good things. But it was the way that I was doing it, my motivation for doing those things, which was to kind of force my parents' hand, to kind of manipulate their response, that was not so good. And we're looking at a text this morning, Judges chapter 17, it deals with a very similar situation. And it shows us how we can want good things, and we can do good things in order to try to get where we want, but the whole time it would just be totally off base. Now this chapter is a case study of one guy in particular. His name's Micah. And Micah is a bit of what we might call a tryhard. Somebody's got a, kind of a checkered past, and he's trying really hard to overcome that. 
He's trying really hard to do uh, whatever he is supposed to do to, to do what other people want. Right? He, he wants more than anything else to get on God's good side, get on everybody else's good side, to be well thought of. Now, you might be somebody who readily identifies with Micah, or you could be somebody who really tries to avoid people like Micah. But either way, verse 13 is where we can all kind of connect to this. Because verse 13 pulls back the curtain on what's going on inside Micah's heart. And uh, what's kind of been his driving motivation? We don't have to guess. He tells us outright. He says, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because i got a Levite as a priest. So making this Levite his priest, this was just kind of the capstone. It was the latest iteration, the long list of things that Micah was trying to do to try to guarantee that God would be for him. God would be prospering him. And this is where we can all connect into this story. right? Because we probably don't say this is what we're doing. We, we many times don't even admit to ourselves this is what we're doing. But we all do and say things that are good and right and kind so that we will be in the kind of position where good things just seem to happen to us. Right? I'm just the kind of person that good things happen to. Either good things from God or good things from other people. And the main point of this passage is that we should trust Jesus as our guarantee that God is for us. We should trust Jesus because he is the only guarantee that God is 100% all the time for us. And there's really two sections to this passage. We see in verses 1 through 6, Mike is trying to do right by the world standards. And then in verses 7 to 13, Micah is trying to do right by the church's standards, which church at that time would have been the people of Israel and their ceremonies. And both of these approaches, right, trying to do right by the world or trying to do right by the church, they're both springing out of the same kind of mentality, right? the, the same idea. They just have kind of slightly different variations on the specific actions that you do. Right, that both of them, at their core, they have this desire to live morally, to do the right kind of things so that Micah can rest secure, so that God will look at him, other people will look at him, and they'll think, you know what, that guy Micah, he's just a really good guy. That guy is solid. So... I want us to look at that impulse, right? This desire that we have to do right by the world or do right by the church. And we're going to see how Jesus frees us from both of these. Jesus gives us an entirely new way to live. So uh, first, let's take a look at what Mike is doing, verses 1 through 6, to do right by the world. And verse 6 actually sets the cultural context for this chapter, really the whole book of Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in other words, this is very similar to our time today. I'm not so much from a a political standpoint. We today enjoy a good deal more law and order than these kind of 
warring tribes and city-states, but I mean more from a religious perspective. Micah is living in this pluralistic society where there's a ton of individual liberty. There's lots of different competing spiritual practices, and everybody did what worked best for them. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and as long as nobody gets hurt, we can all be happy, we can all get along. So Micah's story starts off with this mom who is cursing out her son who's been stealing money from her. So it's probably not the healthiest family dynamic, right? But then things turn a corner. It starts getting better. You know, Micah returns the money and his mom blesses him. Right? This is great. You know, things are on the upward swing. Relationships are healing. Uh, Micah and his mom, they're wanting to make better decisions. Then, second half of verse 3, things start going off the rails. And what I want us to learn from Micah is that when we try to clean up our own lives, when we try to do the right things without trusting Jesus, ends up being costly and exhausting and uncertain. So, when Micah and his mom want to turn things around, how do they start out? Well, they dedicate all of the stolen money to God. And next step is a little bit humorous, is they actually only take 20% of that money. And they use that to get the silversmith to make this carved image and a metal image. And so what's that about? Well, we got to understand that those were common, accepted, culturally accepted spiritual practices for doing this nice, thoughtful kind of thing, seeking God's blessing on your home, everybody in the home. Everybody would have gotten that. But Micah doesn't just stop there. He is going to go above and beyond. So he goes on, he makes this ephod, which is like an Israelite instrument of worship. It'd be kind of like having your own communion table. And he brings in a whole bunch of other household gods and takes one of his sons through an ordination ceremony. So, you know, now he's got a priest in the family. He's got a, a certified spiritual guru in the family. And you know, we can hear all of these things and think, yeah, this guy's just kind of a religious nut job. Right? But remember, he wouldn't have looked like that at his time. Right? All of these things were very commonplace, religious, spiritual practices. And basically all Micah is trying to do, he's trying to bring together all these different religious philosophies. He's trying to gather this whole assortment of spiritual things so that he can kind of cover all of his bases. All right? He really wants to be seen as a, a kind of good and tolerant sort of guy. And he's super, super conscientious. And we need to be able to see that we have these same desires today. Right? We don't normally think of these things as necessarily religious, but we have our own ways of marking ourselves out as a good person in the eyes of the world. All right? And these are things like being involved with a philanthropy or giving to charity or uh, taking care of the environment or volunteering or racing for a cure, fighting for human rights, right? all, all of these sort of things. These are all really good causes. And it's the same kind of thing with Micah. Everybody really would have seen him as, that's a really good guy. But he's a sort of good that we should never aspire to be 
is it's costly, it's uncertain, and it's exhausting. So, how is following Jesus different? And what would Jesus say to someone like Micah? And we actually don't have to work too hard here because Jesus actually encounters someone very much like Micah. Matthew 19, Jesus meets this young, rich, privileged guy who comes up to Jesus and he asks him, what good deed do I need to do to get into eternal life? Right, so this is the big question. This was Micah's question. He says, what do I need to do, God, to be sure that you're going to prosper me in this life and the next one? And Jesus' answer is actually really interesting. He gives this guy a list of rules. And he does that so this guy will realize, so that we will realize, uh, you know, I... I'm not going to be able to do all of those things. I am not going to make this cut. That's impossible. I'm never going to get there. Now, sadly, that's not what this guy says. He responds and says, got it, done, check, did all that. What what else? Anything else, Jesus, I need to do? And so Jesus gives this guy one more thing. And he adds one more thing, not because this is the magic bullet that's going to get you into heaven, But he adds one more thing to to show the cost, the uncertainty, and the exhaustion of trying to get yourself right apart from Jesus. And so he says to this guy, okay, just one more thing. Go, sell everything that you have, and then come follow me. Of course, you can't do it. And part of Jesus' point is that if following Jesus is costly... But he's also making a much more personal point to this young, rich ruler, and to Micah, and to us. And he's saying, if you want to go this route, right, if you want to make yourself feel good by doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, pouring yourself out continually for other people, then you will never do enough. Ever. And you'll always be uncertain. You'll always have this feeling of uncertainty. Is God really for me? And you will wear yourself out, but you're just trying to always climb higher, climb high enough so that now I feel secure. And Jesus came to this world and he suffered and he died so that he could be that guarantee for anybody who really wanted to know that God was for him. But we got to believe that we need that. Right? we got to believe we're not simply a few self-improvement techniques from really having it together now. Right? That we actually need grace for everything, for all of our lives. And so that's why we need to trust Jesus completely. So we looked at some of the ways Micah is trying to do right by the world. And now I want us to to look at some of the ways Mike is trying to do right by the church. Let's remember, the church at this time would have been the nation-state of Israel. And so basically what happens here is there's this guy wandering by Micah's place who's a Levite. And Levites were a particular tribe in Israel that God had set apart to help his people worship. So this guy would have been kind of like a 
pastor or a priest or a missionary or right? somebody in ministry, right? And uh, he's looking for work. Israel is not too concerned with worshiping God at the moment, so he's out of a job. And he comes by Micah's place. Now, as we see later in this chapter, in the next one, turns out Micah is a fairly wealthy guy. He lives on this kind of compound or estate. He's got his own servants and staff and security. He's got a pretty good deal going on. But Micah sees this Levi and he thinks to himself, huh, yeah, I, I got a, a lot of good things happening, but this this could be what really locks things down, what really makes things secure. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to hire this ministry guy, or he's got a special in with God, and uh, I'm going to feed him, I'm going to house him, uh, clothe him, give him a salary, and, and this guy's only job, day and night, is going to be to try to make sure that we, that our estate, is on good terms with God. All right, and then, I can finally rest easy. I can finally just go about business and know God's going to be on our side. God's going to be prospering us. So we can see here again, Mike is really trying to go above and beyond. Now, God didn't actually want or expect any of those things, but Micah doesn't really get that. He's grasping his straws. And he knows at the very least, hey, this is going to look like a really spiritual and pious thing. And hopefully we see here again that when we're trying to create our own guarantee that God is for us, it's costly, it's uncertain, it's exhausting. Uh, this is a tremendous financial burden that Micah is taking on. He's doing it gladly. He's excited. Right? Micah is the kind of guy we would see just giving away gobs of money to nonprofits. But we can see that for Micah, it still feels tenuous. He's still feeling uncertain. And I think we really got to have compassion on Micah. Right? Because we can all fall prey to this. And for Micah, even after everything he's done, right, all of the religion, all the good deeds, all the elements of spirituality he has introduced to his home, he still wonders, is it enough? Have I done enough? It's exhausting. He's always looking for what's the next big thing that I can do? What's, what's the latest display of goodness and compassion that I need to do in order to prove my devotion? As long as we're not trusting Jesus as our guarantee that God is for us, that's where we're going to live as well. Right? We're going to wear ourselves out looking for, what do I need to do to get God on my side today? You know, it's interesting. There's a pastor in Atlanta, Randy Pope, and he has a really good observation about how we think about self-righteous people, which Micah would certainly classify as. And... You know, he says that we hear that term self-righteous, and we have this kind of negative, visceral reaction, right? where we think, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to be around that. He says when we say that, what we have in mind are people who are smug, who are condescending, and are boastful. We don't like that. But we actually really like 
self-righteous people. And there's a good reason for that. Because a self-righteous person is someone who works really hard to make themselves appear acceptable to as many people as possible. I'm going to say that again. A self-righteous person is someone who works really hard to make themselves appear acceptable. And we love those people because, by and large, they are really good, kind people. Uh, They make great neighbors, and they make hard-working employees, and they become leaders who act with integrity, and they're the kind of people we want our kids making friends with because we know that they're going to make good decisions. But these are not the kind of people who enjoy peace or acceptance with God. And this kind of behavior is a temptation for any of us. None of us are probably going to go and, and get our own personal priest. But for those of us who care about doing right by the church, we have our own ways of kind of climbing the ladder of church piety, right? You know, like, how involved are you? How often are you engaged in worship? How much are you reading your Bible? How much are you praying? What missions trips have you done? What kind of service projects or or community service are you plugged into? Or, you know, what are you doing to raise your kids? And here's the problem. All those are good things, or all those questions are good things to take seriously. But when we're trusting in those things, we might be doing right in the eyes of certain people, but we're not doing right by Jesus. This is what Paul has to say to a group of church people who cared a whole lot about those kind of things. He says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And what he's saying is, these are the kind of people you put on your calendar and you show up to every single church event. You are involved with every program, every project. And that's great. Those things are fine. But he could see that all the while, the message of the gospel was slipping through their fingers. And the message of the gospel is that we can't make ourselves right with God. Ever. But Jesus did. He's already done it. It's over. And we never stop needing to hear that message. It's so counterintuitive. Because believing in Jesus, by definition, is not doing something yourself. It's looking outside of yourself. You know, Jesus' followers had this same kind of struggle. I mean, these were people who were sold out. They are willing to go above and beyond. They were willing to do whatever was necessary. And they asked Jesus, all right, Jesus, now give it to us straight. What do we need to be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus' answer, this is John 6.29, it's one of the most astonishing and radical teachings in the whole Bible. He says to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, there's two things I want us to notice about that answer. We're going to close with these two things. Now, first one is, notice that in Jesus' response, he changes works, plural, to work, singular. 
Uh, this is not by accident. It's not mere happenstance. This is very intentional and it is very important. Jesus wants to simplify our lives. And he knows how prone we are with Micah to be trying to do right by the world, trying to do right by the church. And he knows that both of these are going to lead down these roads where there's endless side paths, endless trails. And that's why he says, you know, forget about all that. He, he wants to protect us from getting lost. Or, and he says there's one work, there's one road, and that's me. So believe in me. The second thing I want to see about Jesus' answer is that the work that he gives us to do is to believe. In his gentle, compassionate, gracious way, Jesus is drawing us back to himself. He's saying there is one work that you need to put all of your energy into if you want to know that God is going to be for you. And that is to believe in me. Believe in Jesus, that he is enough, that he has done everything for us. Right? And, and that the reason why God accepts us doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. And when we get this, when we begin to see this, we can begin growing in confidence. Okay, God really is for me. One final thought here about Micah. You know, Micah's, what he says here at the end of this chapter, where he says, now I know that God will prosper me. That's not a bad desire. It's just that God has already shown us where to get that assurance in Christ. And this is why Paul prays for us who are believers that we might know the riches of the inheritance that has already been given to us when we trust in Christ. Let's pray that God would help us to see that. God would help us to know what we really have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you have done for us, that you are enough, that uh, you have taken all the weight, all the responsibility on yourself, and you reach out to us with love. Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to look to you and to trust in you and, and know what we have in Christ? In his name we pray. Amen.